with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 362 aka year eight week seven coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and since this is your regularly scheduled saturday afternoon clubhouse club broadcast of the anarchist experience you can find us there uh, on clubhouse at the anarchist experience or at me rich is for rich r-i-c-h-e-s the number four r-i-c-h and then you'll get the little notification when we open up the room and start the live show so that your participation um, can be had. What's going on with you guys this week? Uh, not a whole lot. I think we're, we're waiting for either the uh, Ukraine war to end or the world to end or um, for the next uh, podcast. So World War Three. I know that's that's the one unfortunate thing with the news cycle is when there's not a lot of good when there's a lot of not a lot of news going on i can usually find like a handful of variety stories of which to talk about and then you know if it's you know if it's the news of the week there's like one good story for us to comment on um before we get to the variety show of headlines but this ukraine thing has like dominated the news cycle where there's not much else available aside from different positions, uh, points of views, commentaries, what have you, on the goings-on. Um, but I will also say that the possibility for World War III is once again making me a little nervous. Uh, I'm not scared, but I did go out and buy some, like, high-calorie non-perishable items um, a few days ago just to store up just in case things get stupider. If that makes sense? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a prepper. I don't claim to be a prepper. Um, but I also, I also am leery of runs on food, um, even though I didn't stock up on toilet paper this time. <laughs> So are you, are you guys concerned at all about where this could lead as far as an actual global catastrophe? One of the best things I ever bought was uh, a bidet. So, okay. Um, I don't need as much toilet paper. Um, yeah, f- fun tip there for you. But, uh, well, good for you, Mr. Fancy Clean Butt. Yeah, and, and with the oil good too. and the water here, uh, maybe that'll help make, uh, make it lubricated too, you know. Oh yeah, and petroleum. So yeah, <laughs> are you talking about the Red Hill leak thing that they just closed yeah, down? Yeah. Okay, right. yeah. For those that don't know, uh, the military has been spilling oil and petroleum into the drinking water supply, and for years denied it or something, and then recently just closed it down with no fuss, no muss. Just oh yeah, we should probably stop with the oil spill into the drinking so the, water of the population. The conspiracy is that they said, well, there's there's a limit of how much. 
petroleum can be in the water and it was below the limit for, for forever. And maybe now it's leaking more or maybe it's because since the COVID thing, uh, more people are staying home more often. They're getting exposed to the water more and therefore they're actually having problems with it now. Okay. Does that bother you that the government sets a limit on how much uh, contaminants are allowed to be in the water? Um, would yes. it have? Okay. <laughs> okay. But do you think that the water would be made to be 100% pure in a free market? No. Okay. So humans in I, general are going to have to accept some level of contamination in the water or, supply. Or some, little, some level of political control of that. Yeah, I think that the major reason why the government sets an acceptable level is that it serves as a shield to people who would be polluting. See, otherwise, they'd have to, I mean, like, for example, well, you know, of course, this was a long time ago when uh, heptachlor appeared in the milk in Hawaii um, because the cows were eating green chop. That's the top of pineapples that was cut and fed to the cows as cattle feed. And the Pineapples were sprayed with heptachlor, a pesticide. And as long as the health department could say, well, the amounts of heptachlor, heptachlor in, the, um, in the milk are below an acceptable level, then it was um, the, the, the companies were, were shielded from any kind of liability. But what they started to do, some measures of the milk, I mean, some... Uh, um, Storages of milk had more than heptachlor, and some had less. So the Department of Health surreptitiously was advising the milk companies how to mix the two so that the the combination would be below the acceptable level. Okay. And when that came out, then people stopped buying milk entirely because not only uh, was it uh, contaminating any milk that they drank, but it was super concentrated in mother's milk. Um, which then became quite deadly for infants. And so it was finally challenged that um, this law that didn't allow milk to come in from the mainland because we have to protect the local dairy industry. And finally people got upset with that because Safeway Lucerne milk from California was perfectly clear of any of the heptachlor and should have been allowed. And it uh, finally caused them to open up the milk supply uh, to the mainland. And I think that probably if there were no shielding limits, um, people who were polluting the water would have to be accountable in some way, um, either by compensation or by cleaning up. Uh, it's a de demonstrating a, a strong effort to do so, and they'd have to bear that cost. And so therefore, an open and free market allows consumers' choices. I, I appreciate that the open and free market allows consumers' choices and that, you know, government restriction on imports or competing products, you know, are obviously a bad thing. Um, what I would be concerned about, and I'm not suggesting that the government needs to do this, what I'm, what I'm saying is um, how it, with, within the community, absent the state, um, how is it judged... Like, who owns that water supply if it's not privately owned, right? Like, if it's, if it's leaching into the groundwater or into an aquifer or into a lake or a stream, right? We always, you know, anarchists, libertarians, whatever, have always claimed that, well, 
you own the water on your property and you know whoever owns the water on the previous property owns that one and if they pollute their water and it streams into yours well then a claim can be made yeah right? but on a smaller level and i don't i don't want to conflate the two um if i'm barbecuing in the backyard and smoke billows over my fence into my neighbor's yard that can be seen as a pollutant and i don't think that we would say that one has a legitimate legal claim over the other so no i think that that applies there too um if you're dump, it doesn't matter the means whereby you're polluting your neighbor's yard i mean you dump garbage in their in their house or you dump it through the air or through the water uh still accountability i think can as long as it can be proven that it is coming from this source and that it causes injury um, that you ought to be able to sue whatever the means. Okay. So you don't like the smell of my barbecue and all of a sudden there's a lawsuit. It, it could be. Uh, and uh, in which case, uh, you know, compensation uh, is offered. I mean, in other words, I, okay, I, I, you're, you're, the smell from my barbecue is, um, you know, horrendous. Um, to you, and it's it's causing you injury. People don't want to come to your house because of all this smoke coming into your to your yard. Um, what what will make it worthwhile to you? If I pay you a hundred dollars a month, or each time I barbecue, uh, uh, five dollars, will that satisfy you so that you'll sign off on it? That's one way of handling it. Another would be say that you could sue for for damages, but then you have to prove well what are the damages. And I, I think there's a there's a huge body of law that that sort of addresses these kinds of uh, issues. Nuisance, I think they're called nuisance laws too, partly, and because it could be sound or smell, or um, you know, visual obstruction is another factor. Uh, for example, some people say, well, if I built a a house here, and somebody builds a taller house next to it, and and therefore I can't get the sunlight. In Japan, that's a very serious issue. You, you you have the right to a certain amount of sunlight, and a, someone who comes subsequently and blocks that sunlight uh, is um, liable for some compensation. Um, I don't see. I don't see that as a free market thing. Free market thing is I if I bought the plot of land next to you, I can build whatever I want because it's mine. Um, and if you wanted to maintain access to your sunlight. Right? Then you buy everything between you and the sun to keep that. I don't owe you. I don't um, have to compensate. I don't have to compensate my neighbor because I want to put a third or fourth story on my house. Um, uh, that's one of the, well, that's one that's, of the things that comes a, up in Hawaii. That's a good point. Uh, I think it's a, you're making a good point, but I think there's also a legitimate point that, you know, for example, um, uh, uh, um, a, a farmer would say, "Well, you know, the, the the sunlight is is crucial to my being able to grow crops." Yeah. Um, a gardener might say that uh, about their their plants. Uh, yeah. You know, so you got to buy the, access, the you got to buy the area around it that ge- that keeps that access for you. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's buy a, five that's acres a good plant point. in the middle. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. Um, I'm trying to think of some kind of examples where, um, 
That's yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's let's let's move on. We got okay. stuff to yeah, yeah. talk about. Well, I mean, <laughs> sure, sure. It it can be a sticking point because I th- I think that you know the the smoke billowing over the fence, right, or the you know the the mess in the yard lowering the property value turns into frivolity and frivolous claims, right? Then all of a sudden, like, oh, you got you got paid. You know, you're you're paying. You know, if you're the neighbor who's complaining, right, about the barbecue, and like you're getting, and the other neighbor finds out, then all of a sudden, like, oh, that, yeah, his smoke is bothering me too, right? And everyone's got these, you know, frivolous claims against each other. Um, much like if you know, if your neighbor has nuisance cars parked in the yard, and you're trying to sell your property, to go like, hey, uh, what'll it take for for you to like get those junkers off the lawn so I can get more value out of my home sale, right? And then another neighbor finds out that he's getting paid off. Well, all of a sudden, I'm throwing junkers in the yard too to get mine, <laughs> and that that seems dumb to me. Uh, that that's what becomes necessary uh, to make things work. And I'm not saying the state does a better job because um, I don't think they do. I would just say that in those cases, there is no claim, right? Like, you know. If, if you want to be further away from barbecue smoke, then, hey, then you should have bought the land and surrounded it with enough land where the encroaching smoke doesn't reach your nostrils. Like smoking in public. You go out there, you take a risk, and if you're saying, like, well, your, your smoke, even if we're in public, right, your smoke, yeah, I can smell your cigarette. Um, I don't... I wouldn't necessarily call that a pollutant with damages, even if secondhand smoke is a real thing. Okay, I'm I'm okay to go on as okay. uh, suggested by MC. But uh, yeah, you've you've got some good points there, very good points. All right. So we we originally had some stuff with the Ukraine thing. You said there were some conspiracy theories about what was going on. I've got a couple of articles on the Ukraine situation that kind of leads to other discussions but what were these consp- what were some or one or few of the conspiracies that you've heard about what's going on there oh i haven't heard of any i don't i don't know unless well, they're obvious ones that i don't even think are conspiracies i don't know <laughs> well what was ks talking about then because he brought it up well I, the I there was a a glimpse of a headline saying that the u.s had biochemical labs in ukraine okay um and that this was um you know, uh, something that either the U.S. was protecting or surreptitiously conducting that caused uh, Russia to be more alarmed or... Okay. I don't know. I, I, all I saw was a headline, and I don't know anything about it. The headline that I saw came, came from Freedoms Phoenix, uh, Ernest Hancock's website, um, oh. which I always take with a grain of salt because... Uh, Ernie Hancock doesn't censor or filter what gets posted on Freedoms Phoenix. Hmm. Um, and in doing so allows all the misinformation you can dream. Um, and then it's up to you to figure it out, to read the articles and decide for yourself. So the headline that I saw said like confirmed, uh, us had bioweapons in the Ukraine, um, which is believable to me. Like, Okay, that's not, that may be a conspiracy theory, but it's a believable one. Um, and the other, you know, social media post or something I, I, I read said something about, 
um, this is, uh, there's a fog of war with the Russia-Ukraine situation, and it's more about, you know, who's getting control of the fog machine, right? Like, there's so much uh, nefarious behavior on all sides of this that it's hard to, it's really hard to determine what is legitimate news what's coming from a, a reliable uh, resource or a reliable source and what's just propaganda, right? Because we know the propaganda is coming from all sides as well. You know, the, you know, the, the, the Russians are, you know, doing their thing about the, you know, Oh, we're just going in there to get the Nazis. Um, and the Ukrainians, right. Anytime some Russian soldier, uh, you know, surrenders. It's like, oh, look at this. They're just turning them in their guns and, and running away. Like the Russians don't even want to be here. Right. And in the U.S., it's like, well, the Ukrainians are fighting for freedom. And so all of a sudden the freedom fight, you know, that's, that's what gets Americans, you know, hot and bothered in the jollies. So is it, do you, do you, what, what is you, what does your gut feeling tell you about U.S. having biochemicals, uh, in the Ukraine, because I say yes, I say it makes sense. You know, well, that's a hard. I mean, a gut feeling. I I don't even know what to say about uh, U.S. Uh, doing biochemical uh, activity with Wuhan with the Chinese in Wuhan. Uh, I mean, it seems like that sort of thing. I've been hearing bantered about that that it, there's credibility in those. And that Fauci was involved with it and all that, and this is a brand new one. And I don't know if it—I don't have any idea, a gut feeling about it at all. Okay. MC. MC. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's—he follows it's, this stuff a lot more than yeah. better than I do. Uh, I don't know. The U.S. probably spends the most on it in the world, so who knows? On bioweapons. Yeah. <laughs> so having it in Wuhan, right? Believable. At the time, right? They're like, oh, no, no, it's, it's from eating bats. And the conspiracy theorist is like, no, that fucking Fauci dude, he's got a lab where they're cooking up some bad viruses in there. Like, no, 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 it's the bats. And all of a sudden, you know, the United States cares a whole hell of a lot what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, and if, the, if all that is a cover, right, to, to, to protect bioweapons sites and facilities... Uh, maybe, maybe Russia found out that, that there's a, a U.S. lab there that's doing biolab stuff, and uh, that's why they decided to invade, so they could prove it was the U.S. that unleashed COVID-19. It would be funny if they went in there and said, like, no, 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 we're invading to find the weapons of mass destruction, right? There you go. Like, throw that right back at them. We believe that the U.S. has bioweapons in the Ukraine, and so we, ha- we have to invade to find out what those bio, where those bioweapons are stored and how bad they actually are. There's your, there's your Russian propaganda and justification right there, along with Nazis. And the Nazis, like, that's not even a conspiracy thing. That's, that's like confirmed facts uh, with enough research. I was told the, the Nazi party in Ukraine is the third largest party, but that's kind of like libertarians being the third largest party so okay not that many nazis over there but um yeah but they also have, i don't i ahead. don't know what they mean by by nazis are they the 
kill all the Jews type of Nazis, or are they are they just national socialists? Probably just the na- well, probably just the national socialist. That being said, the 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 photographic evidence is of Ukrainian soldiers um, wearing emblems that were based off the kill all the Jews Nazis emblems. Oh, okay, so they're right. racist too. Right, <laughs> they absolutely are. <laughs> the racist Ukrainians who want you know their ethno state of Ukrainians or whatever, and you know socialism for them and nothing for anybody else. So they're there, and it's hard. It's 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 hard to refute that um, without burying your head in the sand too far. So, again, lots of propaganda on each side. Well, it it probably doesn't help that argument that that Zelensky himself is Jewish, and uh, the there was there is growing support for him. I mean, I I don't know that the neo, that the neo-nazi of today is anything like i mean I, yeah these allegations are pretty broad i, I just wouldn't know what they really mean okay and it's hard difficult to just run on on a label like that just like the the canadian truckers one guy has a swastika out on a on a on a flag and then the whole thing gets smeared with uh oh it's a neo-nazi um, movement <laughs> Okay, but if that one guy on, with the with the flag, uh, with the swastika on the flag, is actually a Nazi, right? It's not that he brings down the entire group, but you can go like, there's Nazis in that crowd, and just like the Ukrainian army, right, may not be full of full of Nazis, but the dude wearing the SS pin, right, probably a Nazi. No. Yeah, 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 fine, but I mean, you know, that... that. Uh, and then there's a handful of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and they're all in the so, picture together. So what's the conspiracy in the article that you have? That I have? I don't have a conspiracy article. Oh. Oh, well, whatever your article is. Okay. Go with it. Um, well, which one? I had two. I had the, the Jones Act for the oil, and I had the uh, the way that Russia keeps McDonald's open. Uh, Stu Jones Act. Yeah, you guys love the we, Jones Act. We were just talking about that um, because you know we had another grassroots institute uh, uh, gala. Um, so it's the twentieth anniversary for them, and that's probably their biggest issue. It's the Jones Act. All right. So uh, headlines from the Cato Institute. So again, grain of salt, all that fun stuff. Russian oil is off the table, but the Jones Act serves as a barrier to using domestic supplies. With imports of Russian oil, as well as coal and natural gas, now banned, the country's refineries must decide on alternative sources. The good news is that there are U.S. grades of crude oil well-suited for refineries on the east and west coasts. The bad news is that the Protectionist Jones Act stands in the way of getting this oil from where it's produced in the United States to other parts of the country where it's needed. Passed in 1920, the Jones Act restricts the domestic waterborne transportation of goods, including energy products, to vessels that are U.S. flagged and built as well as mostly U.S. crew and owned. Meaning these requirements isn't cheap. A U.S. built tanker is estimated to cost nearly four times more than one built overseas, 150 million versus 40 million, 
while, while operating costs are significantly higher. The inevitable result is expensive shipping rates that can make it cost prohibitive to transport oil within the United States, thus tipping the scales in favor of imports. Beyond costs, most Jones Act compliant tankers are smaller, medium range tankers, typically used to transport refined products rather than crude oil, and switching between the two is no easy task. Of the tankers in the Jones Act fleet, only 11 are larger Suzmax tankers designed for crude oil transports, and they are almost exclusively, exclusively used to ship crude from Alaska to West Coast refineries. The seemingly obvious solution here would be for Biden administration to waive the Jones Act to enable the cost-effective purchase of U.S. crude, but that's less straightforward than it may seem. While the executive branch can waive the Jones Act via request from the Secretary of Defense, the authority was paired back by the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, previously allowed for reasons of national defense a term sufficiently flexible that it allowed for Jones Act waivers following natural disasters such as Hurricane Maria, the 2020 NDAA, much to the delight of pro-Jones active Act lobbyists, restricted waivers request by the Secretary of Defense to those deemed necessary in the interests of national defense to address an immediate adverse effect on military operations. Beyond requests from the Secretary of Defense, civilian entities can also seek Jones Act waivers via request to the Department of Homeland Security. These, however, must be both deemed in the interests of national security and are subject to a canvassing of the existing Jones Act fleet to see if sufficient vessels already exist. Two such waivers were issued last year during the Colonial Pipeline shutdown following requests from Valero and Sitco. This waiver route is unlikely to prove successful given that Jones, several Jones Act tankers are currently idle and available for use, albeit at rates higher than the foreign alternatives. That leaves waivers from the Secretary of Defense. Even if such waiver could be justified on grounds related to military operation, language in the 2020 NDAA limits its duration to 10 days with extensions possible to a maximum of 45 days. But tensions with Russia appear unlikely to be resolved in a matter of weeks. If, politi if policymakers want to tilt the playing field in favor of U.S. crude for the longer term, more accurately level the playing field by granting U.S. oil producers access to the same efficient shipping available to foreign oil producers that export to the United States, then more durable changes to the Jones Act will need to be made. Congress will have to act. Already, Representative Ed Case, a Democrat from Hawaii, has introduced legislation that would exempt energy products sent to Hawaii from the Jones Act so long as restrictions on Russian energy imports remain in place. That's a good starting point. Providing a similar exemption to Puerto Rico would be another logical step given its own usage of Russian fuel imports. And a total exemption for domestic energy transport, ideally on a permanent basis, would be better still. U.S. usage of Russian energy serves as a fresh reminder of the oft-overlooked harms inflicted by the Jones Act and the myriad ways of un it undermines both the country's prosperity and national security. Let's hope this sets a stage for a much-needed and long-overdue examination of this protectionist relic and the glaring failure of U.S. maritime policy. Uh, end of the article. Uh, I read somewhere else that, you know, they were talking about the Russian oil imports and that it was only like 4% of U.S. usage. 
And I don't but know how... 30% of Hawaii's usage. Okay. So much more much more of a problem in Hawaii, but the uh, on a nationwide average, does 4% sound correct or is... Am, Am I that's, wrong? On that's that? correct for the for the for the uh, country as a whole. But consider okay. also it's it's not just Russian oil. I mean, we probably also therefore get oil from uh, from other um, countries. Maybe I don't know if Venezuela is totally sanctioned or or I mean because now the Biden administration is even urging Venezuela and Iran to to sell oil to the market to make up for the loss of. Of Russian oil, which is ironic because now you're, you're, you know, saying, oh, well, now the egregious uh, behavior of Iran and, and Venezuela don't really matter so much anymore because we're more angry with Russia. Okay. But I, uh, furthermore, I think you make an, uh, an excellent issue was raised about this. They're asking for 10-day waivers, okay? What shipping company is suddenly going to make changes in all of their operations for a 10-day estimation. Oh, it could be extended to 45 days. Oh, well, then they don't even know if the 10 days is going to be it or whether it's going to be extended uh, further. Um, But I think I read recently that uh, under emergency action, uh, executive order can authorize um, any amount of time. They did, Franklin Delano Roosevelt authorized a, a, a waiver of the Jones Act for Hawaii uh, for the whole of 1945, the whole year, just because, well, national security demanded it. And uh, so I think that sets a good precedent for going beyond these these uh, congressional uh, time limits. Okay. I guess I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree. I would I would argue that the Jones Act needs to go as well. Uh, but when you're talking about like, okay, just out of curiosity, um, did you guys fill up recently? Like what's the average price going around for, for, for a gallon? Well, it's, I think it's, uh, four twenty five or something like that. Okay. So it's about the same here. There were, I, I just put at four nineteen yesterday at a, at a, you know, at a discount shop like Costco gas. Not Costco, but similar situation. So it's it's not all that much different, and I don't know I don't know how much. No, but that that's because we can get our oil from Russia on a non-Jones Act ship right now, and it hasn't been cut off yet. I mean, we're still paying the price from from the previous arrangement. They just announced the the, the uh, ban on import, so that's going to be in the pipeline. The price is going to go up. Um, but consider, I mean, so. We're getting our oil from Russia because it has to be uh, on a non-Jones Act ship. If it came from California or Alaska, we could get it um, uh, a lot cheaper from the mainland. But also consider Alaska, I mean, the the Texas uh, oil fields could send their oil. I mean, they do send oil to New York and to Canada. It's three times more expensive to send on a Jones Act ship from Texas to New York than to send that same barrel of oil from Texas further to Canada. It, it's $2 a barrel to send it to Canada and $6 a barrel to send the, the barrel of oil to, uh, uh, to uh, New York. Okay. And so in New York, they get their oil from Russia instead of from Texas. 
because it's cheaper. I mean, it's not just Hawaii is affected. Every every state is affected by this. I Puerto Rico imports its rice from China instead of just across the the Caribbean there uh, to Louisiana and Florida because it's cheaper on a non-Jodzak ship going even through the Panama Canal uh, from China. So it's benefiting China and Russia, the Jones Act. And these guys have the nerve to say this is for national defense. Well, again, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily arguing that point because I agree with you on that point. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I am asking is uh, if, if, if it's only 4% nationwide, right, and, and gas prices have gone up, significantly nationwide right yeah. i don't know i don't know any like it's 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 gone up much less in the middle of the country on the last like chart that i saw like texas oklahoma and that you know midwest whatever you want to call it corridor still has less or are they're paying less for gas um but if you're saying if we're if we're only talking about four percent of supply and we're talking about sanctions that haven't even hit the pump yet then what is causing this to rise aside from panic um, and gas stations going like, well, we have to get ahead of this, right? And so they're prematurely raising the prices to cover whatever future costs they're going to have to incur. Well, I think probably the real cause of our inflation isn't the war in Ukraine or, or the sanctions against Russia. The real cause is the... 40% increase in the money supply that the government has printed up in the last uh, two years. Um, and they're, they're, I mean, a lot of the focus is on this particular supply chain issue, but I think the major cause, and the, the economy's coming back, so there's a, an increase in the demand for, for oil for a lot of things. Um, and the supplies are, are restricted, so. Okay, well, supplies are restricted Overall, or are you specifically talking about, like I'm saying, I'm going to keep saying 4% because it's a nationwide thing, and I'm going to say I understand Hawaii's 30%. Well, f- I yeah, guess. 4% for, for Russia, uh, but there's, um, uh, I, I think there are probably supply chain bottlenecks in other places too. Okay. Uh, yeah. So what do you anticipate happening in Hawaii when those sanctions do hit? And where you where where does Hawaii plan to make up that thirty percent? Oh, they'll have to. Well, maybe Indonesia. Uh, that's where our, we get a lot of our oil from there. We don't get any oil from the mainland U.S. Okay, it all comes from a, a foreign source. And so OPEC countries, a lot of that depends on how much they're going to decide to pump. I think Saudi Arabia has decided to increase its production a little bit uh, because of the Russian uh, shortfall. Um, and OPEC countries love this sort of thing. Actually, all the oil companies love this sort of thing. It just means, you know, uh, uh, you, know uh, you know, a short supply, they can get a bigger, bigger, better price for what they've got. Okay. Several months ago on this program, we talked about the, the lumber shortage. Um, and how the lumber industries were raking in windfall profits because there was, you know, the demand increased, supply went down, prices went up, and man, profit. And I said, well, if that's the case, shouldn't they increase the supply or build out facilities, you know, 
rather than resting on their laurels? Like, where's where's the competition going? Like, hey, we can grab some of that profit if we undercut them a little bit. Um, and the answer that I got was, well, it's not really worth it. So if that's the case, these OPEC countries, you know, knowing knowing that there's um, knowing that there's sanctions on Russia and whatever Iran and Venezuela or whatever, and that the United States is like cut their own production um, by banning pipelines and all that other stuff. Right. Why not just go like, well, we're just we're just not going to pump anymore. Right. We're going to limit what we do. And then what someone's someone has to break the cartel. Right. Yeah. That's always the incentive in a, any cartel like this to, to cheat um, because, you know, you get uh, the premium price and a lot more volume by cheating. And the, you know, it was interesting back in 1973 when the first OPEC embargo hit the United States. You know what the what the country was that was cheating on that? It was Libya. Muammar Gaddafi cheated on his own cartel because he saw such a huge opportunity to sell more oil to the United States, even though, you know, the United States and Gaddafi were uh, mortal enemies. So the, the the temptation to cheat is so great. And okay. I'm sure that Venezuela would love to be able to sell anything they could. They just... Uh, have sanctions imposed on them. Right. So they sell indirectly. They'll sell it to another country. It goes through another country and then out on the world market. Oil as well. Right. I'm going to jump into this next article because it transitions nicely and we'll just continue on this conversation through this. Fair? Sure. Sure. All right. Uh, headline, why are leftists and elitists so happy about skyrocketing gas prices? Uh, from Activist Post. There is a narrative being spread within leftist socialist circles by media celebrities and White House cronies, and it is this. Paying high prices for oil and gas is actually a good thing. But why is it a good thing to these people? How do they benefit? Spoiler alert, it has nothing to do with punishing Russia economically. As I write this article, crude prices have somewhat stabilized around $110 to $115 a barrel, which translates to a little over $4 a gallon of gas across most of the country. Uh, real quick, this article is dated March 12th, which is today. <clears throat> uh, I don't expect this to last very long. My guess is that regular gasoline will end up in the $7 to $8 per gallon range before U.S. shale oil roars back and balances out the market. I realize that this is a conservative estimate and perhaps a best case scenario. Gas could go much higher depending on speculation in oil markets, as well as continued government interference from the Biden administration. The big secret is that gas prices were already going to inflate to epic highs. The Ukraine event is not a catalyst. It's just adding a little petrol to the house fire. The fact is, there are some people out there who are desperate for prices to go much higher, regardless of what happens in Ukraine. This past week, late-night comedian and establishment shill Stephen Colbert declared that he was willing to pay as much as $15 a gallon for gas because he owns a Tesla. This is the same guy that danced around with walking-talking syringes to promote experimental COVID vaccines for pharmaceutical giant Pfizer. To understand elitist clowns like Colbert, you have to realize that he is rather new iteration of the old Operation Mockingbird propaganda model. 
Let's set aside the prospect that Colbert is a complete idiot who doesn't seem to grasp that the electricity which charges his Tesla is most likely generated in part or in full by natural gas, oil, or coal. The cost of charging up his car is going to inflate right along with normal energy prices. Instead, let's consider the possibility that Colbert is simply regurgitating a narrative uh, that was assigned to him just as he has done in the past. Decades ago, Americans were fed lies and misinformation uh, by, uh, primarily by the corporate-controlled mainstream media because we used to care about what the MSM had to say. Today, almost no one cares about the MSM, and their dismal audience numbers prove that. There are alternative media channels on YouTube and alt-news videos and websites that crush CNN and MSNBC numbers. We dominate them. That said, there are still leftist outlets that get high traffic, and they are primarily comedy shows. Colbert still enjoys hefty audience numbers of around 1 million or more viewers per video because this is how younger people have learned to digest their news content through mediocre comedy. This model was rather unsuccessful. Uh, excuse me. This model was rather successful in the old days of Comedy Central uh, and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I will say that Stewart was at least fair in that he criticized his own side almost as often as he criticized the political right. But that kind of self-examination uh, no longer exists on the left. Colbert, in particular, must have been invited to a gay old time at Bohemian Grove or some other elitist getaway camp because he now acts as if Biden's arm is halfway up his posterior, controlling him like a sock puppet. His show certainly receives ad revenue from Pfizer, considering his parent company, CBS, has extensive marketing deals with them. But his relationship with the White House is a little less clear. What we do know is that Biden has been very active in attempting to reinforce his already comfortable relationship with social media companies and mainstream journalists. So why not late night talk show hosts also? There's more than a few talking heads out there promoting the expensive gas is a good idea. There's a host of politicians and celebrities, including the ever-obnoxious George Takai of Star Trek fame, who claims that paying higher gas prices is worth it if it means doing damage to Putin. Then there's White House Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who argues that the solution to high gas prices is once again for Americans to start buying electric cars and for the government to spend billions in taxpayer dollars to develop fleets of electric buses. Today is about how we can deliver cleaner air, a better climate, affordable transportation, and good jobs all at once, Buttigieg said. Obviously, none of this is true. Biden and many other Democrats have been enthusiastic about high gas prices as if the American people are confusing a win for a loss. Interestingly, only a few years ago, Democrat governor uh, demanded an end to federal gas taxes to alleviate consumer prices. This was back when gas was only around $3 a gallon nationally. So what changed? It should be noted that many of the policies being presented to the American public as solutions to Russian oil sanctions and energy inflation are identical to policies that were part of the Green New Deal, a program designed to completely cut off the U.S. from uh, oil using carbon controls and carbon taxation. Isn't it convenient that the Russian-Ukraine crisis has facilitated a vehicle for such policies to be implemented? There's a few problems, though. For one, Russian oil makes up only around 3 to 4% of U.S. crude imports. The media and the White House have attempted to misrepresent that percentage by adding in refined products from Russia to boost the number as high as 8%. This is false. In fact, Russian crude is a tiny portion of foreign oil imports 
to the U.S. This means that cutting Russian oil exports to the U.S. has nothing to do with rising prices. The two things are unrelated in terms of supply and demand. Celebrities like Stephen Colbert and George Takai look doubly stupid because sanctions not only don't hurt the Russians, they also don't explain why prices are so high in America. Biden's electric car initiative are strangely in light of the fact that inflation is already straining people's pocketbooks. Yet the government is suggesting those same struggling Americans buy fifty dollars to $100,000 vehicles. None of this actually addresses the root cause of the inflation we face. Rather, Biden and leftists seem to be saying, we aren't interested in fixing the problem. You are just going to have to adapt in the ways we want you to adapt. Clearly, the establishment does not want the public to question the real triggers for the inflationary disaster we are witnessing. This is illustrated very well in an article I found by CBS declaring that any suggestion that high oil prices are somehow tied to Biden's electric car program is conspiracy theory related to QAnon. This is bizarre. For one, there really aren't many people out there suggesting that high oil prices are only about forcing people to buy electric vehicles, and CBS gives no proof of this narrative. That said, I live in a world where conspiracy reality, not conspiracy theory. What do I see on a regular basis are people pointing out that gas inflation and overall inflation started long before Russia invaded Ukraine. It's just now that Biden has a scapegoat to blame high prices. Also, on while uh, instituting Green New Deal actions. Joe Biden and his shameless press secretary, Jen Psaki, have consistently argued that Putin is the primary cause of inflationary pressures, but inflation in the U.S. hit a 40-year high as early as December of last year. Even the World Economic Forum admits this. CBS and the other corporate media outlets seem to be aware of the truth and complaints that are about to spread across the country, and they have attempting to preempt the unrest by calling anyone that questions the narrative a crazy tinfoil hatter. But here are the facts. The U.S. dollar is not, only the, is not only the world reserve currency, it's also the global petrol currency, meaning almost all oil to this point has been bought and sold using dollars. When the dollar faces aggressive inflation and devaluation, one of the very first signals on warning signs is higher oil prices. As the dollar fails, oil prices will spike. This can sometimes be mitigated by a flood of supply on the market, as we saw under Trump. Uh, the U.S. was a net exporter of oil only a couple of years ago. But the bottom line is that eventually dollar devaluation wins and oil goes, goes higher. The warning signal is a problem for the establishment because they don't want the public to realize that dollar devaluation is the issue. If the public knew that, then the public would realize that the establishment elites are the cause. In turn, the elites and the Biden admin, ad, admin are using the Ukraine war as a distraction to divert blame. Russian oil sanctions have little to no bearing on U.S. oil supplies, but the massive fiat printing of dollars by the Federal Reserve does. The central bank has created tens of trillions of dollars from thin air since the credit crash of 2008 in order to hold the U.S. economy back from complete deflationary collapse. But this was always a stopgap, and the Fed and the establishment knew that the resulting inflation would eventually strike. It was only a matter of time. In 2020 alone, the Federal Reserve created $6 trillion of new money supply in the wake of foolish and unnecessary nationwide COVID shutdowns. This, in combination with the destabilization in markets caused by the response to the pandemic, is leading to expanding inflationary pressures. This is a fact. It is not COVID. It is not Russia. The cause of inflation is and always will be dollar printing by the Fed, period. Everything else is peripheral to the primary culprit.
Beyond the advantage of using Russia as a smokescreen to hide their culpability for destructive inflation, the establishment is also very interested in a carbon control agenda. These same elites have been calling for higher gas prices for years. Why? Because higher gas prices would force the public to accept the Green New Deal agenda as the only alternative. Carbon controls mean government would be able to micromanage every aspect of business, manufacturing, trade, even the way we function in our homes or the number of children we are allowed to have. For those who actually believe in the global warming nonsense posited by leftists and government-paid researchers, I would remind them that even uh, uh, NOAA, NOAA admits that in the past century, temperatures have risen a mere one degree Celsius. That's right, just one degree in over 100 years. Gee, that's terrifying. Where do I sign away my life and freedoms? I don't want to have to deal with the more thorough tan. Furthermore, there is no hard scientific proof whatsoever that this one degree increase was caused by carbon emissions. None. Zip. Zero. There are plenty of rigged experiments and rigged data that have been exposed in the past, but nothing concrete to show any correlation between carbon and rising temps. I'll give you a hint of what has the most influence on Earth's temperature. It's the size of one million Earths. It's on fire, and you can often see it hovering above us in the sky. Carbon emission policies serve no practical purpose, but they do serve a nefarious purpose as a means to dictate the lives of the average citizen on a micro level. It is perhaps not coincidental that puppets like Stephen Colbert and other leftists have suggested that $15 is a fair price for gasoline. Independent studies by groups like the Institute for Energy Research shows that the Green New Deal measures, including carbon taxes, would ultimately result in gas spiking around $13 per gallon. And in some market speculations, and prices would probably plateau around $15. But hey, if prices are already hitting historic highs because inflation and war, then why not go along with carbon restrictions as well? No one will be able to afford the cost of driving anywhere anyway. See how that works? To summarize, the elites are happy about rising oil prices today because first, they now have a perfect scapegoat for the disasters inflation will reap, disasters they are responsible for, and second, they now have a backdoor way to introduce their carbon agenda, starting with forced public dependency on expensive and less efficient green technology and slowly progressing towards carbon, carbon restrictions. Average leftists are happy about rising gas prices because they ignorantly believe that sanctions on Russian oil hurt Putin. They also ignorantly believe in global warming and they don't realize how drastically our standard of living will be reduced in the name of carbon dictatorship. In other words, this isn't a conspiracy to force people to buy electric cars. Most people can't afford a Tesla anyway. But it is a conspiracy to undermine our prosperity and our freedoms through inflationary crisis as well as green energy mandates. Leftists have no understanding of this. They are happy because they are dumb. Uh, end of the article. So I think this um, concisely points out what KS was mentioning earlier in that if the Russian... If the Russian sanctions haven't even gone into effect yet, um, it's the money printing, stupid. And then the, the Russian-Ukraine uh, war, I guess, uh, is just a diversionary tactic to get people off the scent of what's really going on with the dollar. MC? Yeah, and <laughs> it's not it's it's a lot of things. And I, th I think it, the article is, is correct about the, the agenda of the uh, decarbonization uh, it's, it's, and it's really dumb. And, um, that, I guess, the, I think that's the next battle. So after the, the Ukraine thing goes away, then it's going to be, 
oh, climate change. And, and I think, uh, uh, Kerry, uh, John Kerry, John Kerry. Yeah. He, 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 he famously re- recently said, said the same thing. He said, he's, well, he said the, the, the sad thing about the Ukraine invasion is it distracts from the climate issue. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, total insanity. Cause that's more important, right? World, worldwide climate change, much more important than an invasion trying to find American, uh, what uh, was it? Chemical factories. Yeah. But I guess what makes me nervous is when it's so nonchalant, right? Like the, the, the goalpost, Stephen Colbert moved the goalpost, right? Like they, they, they floated out the balloon of $15 a gallon gas, right? And when he floated it out there, the audience cheered. I don't know if you saw the video. <laughs> They're like, "Woo, fuck Putin, <laughs> woo." Well, and that's that's another reason why the left is going to lose horribly. <laughs> you know? Okay, they're they're actually insane. They actually don't know what they're talking about. Okay, but they they lose. Does that stop there, the inflationary there a, effects? There was another article that that I read that said, "Okay, so we're going to accept." Higher ga- gas prices universally, but but to help the poor, we're going to give them uh, 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 coupons so that they can they can afford gas. Like, how is that going to help prices? You know, prices will just keep going up from there. You know, <laughs> yeah. Do, do they not see how much education costs <laughs> or rent? Right. Like, what uh, would you what would you do if you had like you know three hundred more dollars for rent? Well, my landlord's going to raise the rent by like three hundred bucks or more because of it. Yeah, and and so, and and they did this in Venezuela too. You know, we'll we'll give everybody free gas. Well, what does everything else cost? You? <laughs> yeah. Well, and as I said, as I said in the beginning of the show, like you know, I went out and got supplies. Um, you know, the the non perishable high um, high calorie foods, um, because gas prices are going up, right? And gas gas prices going up is like a precursor to everything else going up because everything else has to be transported and guess how they currently use, you know, guess what they cur- currently use to transport everything, right? The, the Canadian truckers shut down the, you know, shut down Canada for a little bit. Ah, cause they just went on strike and refused to deliver. There, there's the whole like uh, trucker, uh, you know, I've, I've heard it called the non-voy uh, in the U S cause what's the fucking point of that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're delivering. Right, and if if their gas prices go up, right, because they're also you know they're diesel, but whatever those prices are going up too, and it's costing them thousands of dollars to fill up a tank to drive a truck across the country. Well, guess what? That gets fucking passed on, man. So right. not only do you pay more at the pump before you go to work, but you pay more at the grocery store because they it costs them more to deliver that food. So fifteen dollars. Yeah, I'm not really sure if we're surrounded by idiots or if the idiots are just in the media surrounding themselves. So, okay, th- yeah, I think uh, I think th- I still think the left is going to lose pretty bad. I don't think the war is going to help Biden. Okay, I he- okay, so I hear you, and I don't care if I, I'm fine with the left losing, but the left lose. What happens to the inflationary pressures? Does it just go away? Like left or right, um, it still happens at the Federal Reserve. I I still think. That that prices is uh, are are uh, 
still bound by supply. So is, if we can increase supply and that's what the, the right says, that's their plan, um, then at least prices won't keep going up. Okay. So, so vote the left out, vote the, vote the conservatives in, and then reopen domestic production of oil or, you mm-hmm. know, open it up to, to, to more of it um, to, to bring the prices back down. You think that's, like yeah. that's, that's the plan you really like, you see that happening. That's the, I don't see it happening, but that's, okay. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. Is, yeah. Okay. Drill, 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 drill. <laughs> Cause I mean, four bucks is enough for me, man. Like I, I saw, uh, I saw a gas station um, nearby and it was like three ninety nine. I went, motherfucker, it's almost four bucks here. And then like the very next day it was like four thirty nine. I went, holy shit. That was like 10% overnight. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and for it to, for them to say like, oh yeah, it could go up to eight, could go up to 15, you know? And if they end the Jones act, that would take a huge amount of pressure off of, uh, energy. Okay. So we can go back to that. Like, is that, yeah, that's, I think that's the number one thing you could do. And, and that, and that would even, <laughs> it would, it would even, uh, put, put a lot of re- relief on the truckers too, because, you know, then they wouldn't have to you know, drive their trucks across the country as much. You could put it on a boat. Okay. So the, the conservatives get voted in production goes up in the United States, um, and, re- and, uh, eliminate the Jones X restrictions to open up shipping of, of crude or whatever around. And that should, that should help stabilize this nonsense and ridiculousness. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But that again, but that does also doesn't account for the rampant inflation, right? Well, that's still you going can on. always uh, do what we've been saying forever. Uh, you know, buy gold and Bitcoin. All right. No, nobody holds on to dollars anyway. It's 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 silly to hold fill on up, to dollars. Fill up your your garbage can with with gasoline. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> okay, you say okay, you say don't do that. But in times like in times like this, I swear, if I had the space. Right, like I, I, I am tempted to get one of those like hundred and thirty gallon, you know, tanks, like those off road tanks. Sure. Right, and then just getting like a month's worth of gas at today's price. Yeah, yeah, people are going to start doing that, especially once it hits ten dollars. Fucking a! <laughs> Use again. I don't want to hear that so nonchalantly. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, like oh yeah, I, so just, I think people I think you start reacting it. once gas hits ten bucks. Like in, you know, right now, single digits, no problem. Yeah, but you can see it happening, right? I don't want. Okay, so we. I was. I had a theory and a thought earlier. Um, it's kind of funny. I will share it with you. I think that this inflationary crisis is what is going to get the United States onto the metric system. Hmm. Okay. Because when prices get too high, they can artificially lower it on the sign by posting it in liters like they do in Canada. <laughs> okay. Well, right? Cuz 12 12 bucks a gallon sounds bad, right? But uh but $3 a liter, eh, right? Americans up like right now are too stupid to figure it out on their own. They just see the 3 on the sign. Right, and I was like, oh, three bucks, three bucks a liter. All right, I guess that's, a, I guess that's okay. Um, until they start figuring out the conversion, and then, bam, we're on the metric system. Same with, same with the shrinkflation in the supermarket. 
right? Like, you know, uh, Pepsi cans, Gatorades, whatever, whatever those things are. Well, bring out the inflation then. No, (laughs) I'm not calling this a solution. We, we need to go to the metric system. That's more important than, than your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) You, you sound like leftist comedian, Stephen Colbert, (laughs) that now. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? They, they, can, they can hide it for so long because I know how much, you know, uh, I know how much I used to pay for a 32-ounce uh, bottle of Gatorade, right? But if it's like, you know, 0.25 liters of Gatorade, like, I don't know how much that was. Like, how much is a liter of cola? I don't know. You know what I mean? So I think, I think when prices, I think when the inflation pushes the prices too high and you get some consumer pushback, they'll, they'll fudge the numbers, um, and I, again, I hope I'm wrong because I, I want this to be funny, uh, but I think the easiest way to fudge the numbers is to make it confusing for the American consumer who doesn't know metric and is unwilling to do the conversion. They'll just see the new lower price uh, for in, in a new format uh, and, the, you know, and that'll, that'll confuse them long enough to do something else. There's my prediction. Before it hits $15 a gallon, it'll be $4 a liter. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting uh yeah by then by then um people will actually be hurting and uh uh yeah and then the, the uh, stupid people won't be able it won't matter they won't matter because they don't have any money well okay i guess you know we're we're pushing the end of the show um but how elastic is the demand for gas right like gas gas prices are what they are and i still have to drive to work right if you have a job if you have a job and I, well, I do. So are you saying that people are going to quit their job over gas prices or that or, com- or be fired because their job isn't profitable anymore? Yeah. Because of gas prices. So. Also a possibility. It's, and that, and that's like, it's to triple the price, right? To 12 or quadruple it to 15 or 16. That's a, that's more than a hardship for, for everybody except for the ultra wealthy elites. Sure. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts? Uh, nope. Thanks. All right. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially uh, so we can buy some gas, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.